All right. Can you hear me now? Okay. <clears throat> anyway, our, our, our firm foundation, our theme this year, um, it, you know, our, our, our foundation needs to be in Jesus Christ. And <clears throat> the parable that we're going to be uh, talking about this morning is, as we have tried to develop this idea of a firm foundation, my, my initial thought was, what part of the Bible, what you know, section of the Bible, maybe a book or whatever, could I teach on through the year of 2023 that would help us develop a strong foundation? And as I thought about it and prayed about it, God directed me, I believe, to preach this year on the parables of Jesus Christ, because that is the foundational teaching that Jesus did uh, to the, his followers. Uh, and it was though the, it was the parables that Jesus used to develop the foundational uh, first century church. Um, so I thought if it was good for them in the first century, it would be good for us in the 21st century. Um, so a lot of time has lapsed. But the awesome thing about the Bible is that it's just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. And praise God for that. Uh, so anyway, the parable that we're going to be talking about today uh, is one that uh, many people struggle with, uh, myself included. I struggled with the meaning of this for a long time. Um, so this morning I'm going to share with you some of the things that I learned through through studying this parable. Um but I believe the, the confusion partially comes from the fact that we filter everything we read through 21st century culture. And, and to understand the parable this morning, we really need to go back and filter it through 1st century culture. So that's what we're going to be doing this morning. Uh, and I hope it'll be a, a help and a blessing to you. Um, but this, this parable goes to the very core of our firm foundation. The foundation in which we have, if we are going to have a firm foundation, this parable goes to the very core of our theme this year. Having a firm foundation, our foundation in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. Acts chapter 4, verses 10 to 12 says this, <clears throat> Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him that this man stand here before you whole. Now, I'm going to stop here for a second. I want to look at this last word, the word whole. The word whole here <clears throat> means to be complete. Okay? Uh, it, it means that he was made whole physically, emotionally, but more importantly, spiritually. And we live in a world today where people are searching for that last element, the, the spiritual part. They, will, they try everything to fulfill the last element so that they can be made whole. But the reality is the only way to be made whole is through Jesus Christ. Let's continue reading. 
this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there any salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Jesus Christ is the only foundation that we can build our lives upon and have a firm foundation. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lie in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. The parable today that we're going to be looking at is primarily uh, J- Jesus is telling the parable, but he's he's talking about himself, okay? But he the parable is um, uh, talking about a Galilean wedding. Now, Middle Eastern weddings, especially in the first century, are far different from weddings we hold today. Totally different. But you have to understand, the first century church, or the first century Middle East, even within that culture, the Galilean wedding was even more different than than that. The, the, The Galileans... <clears throat> for the most part, to kind of simplifies it, simplify it, the Galileans had a very unique way that they did weddings, different than anybody in the world has ever done it. So in order to understand the parable, you have to understand who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to Galileans. So that helps us understand the type of wedding that he is referring to. So it's it's going to be we're going to be talking about a Galilean wedding, um, and we're going to be uh, bringing up some differences, and and hopefully <clears throat> this parable will uh, help you and will, will make sense. Matthew chapter twenty five, verses one and following. It says, "Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which <clears throat> took their lamps and went forth to meet." The bridegroom, five of them were wise, and five of five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessel with the lamp. While the bridegroom tarried, uh, they were slumbered uh, and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go ye out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and uh, trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us uh, of your oil, for our lamps are gone out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there be not enough for us and you. But go ye rather to them that sell and buy for yourselves. And while they were, uh, while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they were ready, and they that were ready 
went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he said, answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know, <clears throat> I know you not. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour where the Son of Man cometh. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you again for this day. Thank you for this parable and for the, the things that we can learn from it. And I ask this morning, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us and that you would strengthen us through this parable. And Lord, help us to have our firm foundations. We are so very thankful and grateful for all that you do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The title of my message this morning is The Parable of the Ten Virgins. Um, again, it's, it's one of Jesus' more well-known, but I think uh, one of the, the most misunderstood of, this, of his parables. But let me start off by saying this, or pointing out this. Um, when Jesus tells this parable, he does it in between two other parables. Um, in in uh, chapter 24, uh, there is the parable of the that what is called the household and the servants, uh, and then following this one is the parable of the talents. And what's interesting is that all three of these uh, parables have some similarities. Let me share them with you. Both of them have uh, either a lord or landlord of some sort uh, that is absent. The 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 idea here is that um, the lord or the landlord, or the, in, in this case, the bridegroom, is absent. He's not there, but he's coming back. Uh, the return of the landlord or the bridegroom or, the, or whatever uh, is, is eminent. Uh, in the case, uh, excuse me, in each case, um, the, the lord or the landlord uh, upon his return, deals with the faithful and the unfaithful. But then most importantly, the, the, the third, the, uh, the, between the three parables, the, the most important uh, commonality is the fact that in each of the parables, there is personal responsibility involved in each of these parables. Different element of personal responsibility, but they all have to do with personal personal responsibility of being diligent while the Lord or the landlord or whatever was absent. So, so understanding these, these three parables <clears throat> uh, helps us understand the single parable that we're looking at this morning. So, in this parable, there is an underlying truth about the gospel, the, the, the underlying truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, okay? <clears throat> and not only that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, but that every person has a personal responsibility to make that choice, okay? So we're going to, let's, let's unwind this parable and see how it how it unfolds. So what is the parable all about? 
What is the purpose for... Uh, did I not give you this point? Well, that's okay. Point number one. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, she got me. She got me. Okay. Uh, point number one. What is this parable all about? Or, or, or we could say, what is the purpose of the parable? Whatever. Uh, but the, the answer to, the, to that is in verse 13. Look at verse 13. It says, Watch therefore, for ye know whether the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. We do not know when he co- is coming. So the, 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 the parable very clearly is referring to the return of Christ. And we don't know when that is. And in all three of the parables that I mentioned a moment ago, all three of them, the return was eminent, but was unknown. So we know that Jesus is returning, we just don't know when. The bridegroom in the story that Jesus tells in in this parable, the bridegroom very clearly is, is Jesus Christ. It is, a, it is a, uh, a reference to Jesus, no question about it. Uh, in the Old Testament, God pictures himself as the husband of Israel. Okay, So I'm going to read some verses here very quickly to establish the, 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 the thinking of the people of the day. Because the people of the day would have been very familiar with the Old Testament and understanding exactly what what Jesus was talking about. In Isaiah chapter 54, verses 4 through 5, it says this, Fear not, for thou shalt be, excuse me, shall not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not uh, be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy uh, widowhood any more. For thy maker is thy husband. Okay, there you go. Um, uh, the Lord of hosts is his name. And thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, uh, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. So, uh, again, in Hosea chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, And I will betroth thee, unto me forever. Okay, this is talking about Israel to God in a betrothal environment, uh, situation. Yea, uh, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will ever betroth thee unto me in faithfulness. Thus say, uh, uh, and thou shalt know the Lord. So in the Old Testament, God likens Israel to a bride. The Bible says that we were betrothed or or that Israel was betrothed to God. In the New Testament, when Jesus comes on the picture, things change a little bit, obviously, uh, because uh, he is the bridegroom. Um, But Christ is pictured as the bridegroom, as we read in in, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 25, but also in Matthew 9 and verse 15, And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the day will come 
when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and shall they fast, <clears throat> and then shall they fast. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Mark chapter two, verses nineteen and twenty. And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the uh, bride chamber fast uh, um, uh, while the bridegroom is with them? Oh, this is basically the the same verse, just a different chapter, uh, a different book. Anyway, so the point is this. It's very clear here that 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 the the person that Jesus is talking about here in chapter 25, uh, being the bridegroom, is Jesus Christ. Okay, so we we've established that. <clears throat> but another thought along this way is that the church is also described as the bride of Christ. Okay, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25 uh, through 26, it says, "Husbands." Love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it by the washing of the water by the, by the word. So there, there you have it. Um, and then also, uh, just a couple verses later in verses 31 and 32, he continues the thought. He says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So um, <clears throat> hopefully hopefully, I haven't bored you with all that, but my, my point is this. It's important enough to understand the parable to understanding who Jesus is talking about here. So he's talking about himself, and he's talking about the church, <clears throat> the bridegroom. So let's get some historical setting. I think this is going to help us a little bit. Um, earlier I said that Galilean weddings were very unique even in the Middle East. They, 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 they're, the, 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 the culture of the Galileans, even though they were Jews, even amongst other Jews, their weddings were completely different. So let's take a look at, at and hopefully this will kind of help set it in context for us. Um, uh, uh, a guy named D.A. Carson wrote this about, about weddings during this time. He said, Normally the bridegroom with some close friends left his house to go to the bride's home. Uh, let me stop right here and say this. Typically this was done in the middle of the night. Okay, um, it, it wasn't it Very seldom was it done during the day. It was almost always during the night. Um, and he, he goes on, he says, Where there were various ceremonies... Uh, followed by a procession through the streets after nightfall to his house. The ten virgins may be bridesmaids who had been assisting the bride, and they ex- uh, and they expect to meet the groom as he come to the bride's to to the uh, bride's house. Everyone in the procession was expected to carry his or her own torch. Um, those without torches would be assumed to be party crashers or even thieves. Festivities, uh, which might last several days, would formally get underway at the groom's house. So what would happen is this. At, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a chosen time, um, usually the, the, the bridegroom's father would say, okay, it's time. 
in the middle of the night, he would wake his son up and said, okay, go get your bride. So he would take his groomsmen and they would, they would make a, a, a big ruckus going through town to, until they got to the bride's house. And then <clears throat> when, they, when they would hear the ruckus coming, they would know that the bridegroom was coming. So the, the ladies would all wake up, they would get their lamps, and then they would all get in this big procession and they would all make their way back to the bridegroom's house where a seven-day feast would take place. <clears throat> that seems a little excessive, but that's how they do it. Did it? Okay, I don't know if they still do it that that, that this way, but that's that's how they did it then. So they would start a seven-day feast, and once the once the gate to the house was closed, no one was allowed to come in or out. So it is a picture of those that were ready for the bridegroom's coming, that they were ready and waiting for the return. Again, who's this picture about? This picture is about Jesus Christ. So the, the wedding ceremony, very different from the way we do it, obviously, but this is what would take place. So he, he continues to write. The torch was either a lamp or a small oil tank, or a wick, uh, or uh, <clears throat> uh, uh, a stick with rags at the end uh, soaked in oil <clears throat> that would re require occasional re-soaking to re maintain its flame. The fact that all the virgins were sleeping when the call came indicates that it doesn't matter what we are doing when Christ returns. So here's the picture. <clears throat> the bridegroom, it's time to go get his bride. He goes, gets his bride, and then the procession return to return back takes place. There, there are ten bridesmaids. Here they're referred to as virgins, but there are ten bridesmaids that are going to make the journey back to the house to help celebrate with the bride and groom for a ten for a seven day feast, but five of them the Bible says are foolish and their their lamps are not prepared. They didn't have enough oil. Here comes the personal responsibility. It was their responsibility to make sure that they had enough oil, so that when the bridegroom came, <clears throat> they would be able to be a part of the procession. Does, does that make sense? Okay. Uh, and <clears throat> so I, I'm getting somewhere with this. Okay. So just, just bear with me. So the point is this. In our lives today, it does not matter what we are doing, whether we're sleeping, whether it's the middle of the day, middle of the night, whether we're, we're uh, uh, playing ball, we're swimming in a swimming pool. It does not matter where we are the point is this, you need to be ready. That's the point. Five were ready, five were not. That's the point. So, how do we get ready? That's where the oil comes in. You have to have sufficient oil. 
Now, let me say this. Oil normally, almost always, in Scripture is referring to what? The Holy Spirit. How then, how then do we get the Holy Spirit? Through Jesus Christ. Okay, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So, we talked about what, what the parable was about. We talked about the historical setting. Now, this is really the meat of the parable right here. The lessons from the parable. The lessons from the parable, point number three. What can we learn from this parable? How can we take this Ab, kind of abstract story that Jesus tells and apply it to our lives. Why? Well, as I studied this, I came up with five things that Jesus that we can learn through this parable. That that uh, I I don't I I'm sure maybe if we talked about it we could probably come up with a few more. But five things that that almost immediately things that I started to understand and take away from this parable. The first one being this. Lesson number one. All ten were equal except in one way. All ten of the bridesmaids were equal except in one way. Think about this. All ten of them responded to the invitation to be in the bridesmaid. Okay, all ten of them, according to historical understanding, all ten of them would have been dressed identical. Okay, all ten of them uh, uh, would have understood the customs and the and the requirements of being a bridesmaid, just like just like today, if. If uh, somebody gets married here and, and you invite someone and say, hey, would you be a bridesmaid? Everybody in our culture understands the responsibilities that come along with being a bridesmaid. If you don't, just watch a Hallmark, you know, one of the Hallmark movies. They'll, it'll, they'll teach you, okay, what a, the responsibilities of a, of, a, of, a, of a bridesmaid is, you know. Uh, it's insane. You know, anyway, I don't want to go there. But anyway... Um, my, my point is this, on the outside, on the outside, they all looked the same. They all did the same thing. They were all sleeping. It was, it was the middle of the night. They were all sleeping. They were all doing the same thing. <clears throat> Everything on the outside was the same. except for one thing, their personal responsibility. They failed to get enough oil. Again, now, what is, what is the picture of, of oil in the, in, the, in the Bible? It is almost always referring to the Holy Spirit. So you have Jesus telling a story here of five Bridesmaids, five of them have the Holy Spirit, and five of them do not. Think about that.
They're equal in every way except that one thing. Now, how can we apply that to our lives today? We can apply it very, very easily in, into our lives today. How many, how many people in this world today on the outside look like Christians and maybe talk like Christians and maybe even go to church and maybe you know, give money to the church and do all the things on the outside that a Christian is supposed to do, but on the inside they are still empty. They have never been made whole. The picture here that Jesus is, is giving us is an incredible picture of one, one of, I think, a picture that talks about what is going on in the hearts of five bridesmaids and the hearts of five other bridesmaids. Five that the Bible says are, are wise and five that are, the Bible says are, are foolish. And here we get a glimpse into their hearts a little bit, understanding that, that they, they wanted to be equal with the other five, but they were not because they weren't ready. They had failed to do their personal responsibility. Lesson number two. Five had oil. Acts chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the time or the season which the Father hath put in my own power, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Earlier we read in Acts of, I believe it was Peter, when he's talking to, the, to, the, to a crowd, he says, hey, the man who stands before you has been made whole physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And here we have in Acts uh, <clears throat> chapter 1 and verse 8, the fact that when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, we receive power. And, and that power that is, it is a spiritual power that completes us. Five of the, the bridesmaids had oil. They had, they, had, they had the Spirit within them. Five of them looked right. They acted right. They did everything right, except they weren't ready for the return of the bridegroom. When a person receives Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within that individual. Lesson number three. Five had no oil. So you have five that with oil and five without. The five without represent what we would call false believers. People that go through the motions. They look right. They sound right. They do everything right. But they've never committed their lives to Jesus Christ. 
And to be perfectly honest, our churches are full of people like that. These people are more concerned about the seven-day feast that is taking place than they are about the bridegroom that's coming. What an incredible picture for us. Look at verses 10 to 12 in our passage in verse 25. Uh, uh, Verse 10, it says, "And, And while they went to buy... Uh, the bridegroom came, and they that were already went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterward came also other virgins, saying, uh, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he, say, he, but he answered and said, Verily, 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 I say unto you, I know you not. So, so, so let's 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 put it in a practical sense here. What would happen in 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 a, in a real life situation when if this took place, the five uh, uh, bridesmaids that did not have oil, they went and bought oil, they they filled up their lamps, they lit them, and then they went back to the house where the where the bridegroom and the wedding the wedding party, everybody's inside, but the custom of the day was once the door shut. It was you were not allowed to open it again. But I, I, I can envision uh, a real life situation where these these bridesmaids, these five bridesmaids, are knocking on the door and saying, "Hey, let us in. We're we're the other five. We 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 weren't ready. We 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 ran out. We got oil now. We're ready." But what does the father of the of the of the groom say? I don't know you. How, if I, I, the, the custom is very clear here. I'm not allowed to open the door. And even if I did open the door, I don't know who you are. That's a scary thought, my friend. Because there are going to be a lot of people standing before God one day saying, Hey, I went to church my whole life. Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22. <clears throat> who, has, who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. The word earnest here is, is, a, is a word that we would use for a down payment. When you, when you buy something expensive, a house or a car, or something like that that you typically have to finance. What do you you have to put down earnest money or a down payment, right? And what that what is what that's telling the bank is saying, hey, I'm serious about this purchase that I'm going to complete the deal. And one of the ways that we know that God is going to finish what He promised is the fact that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a down payment in our hearts. What a beautiful picture of what God does in our hearts when we accept Jesus Christ. He gives us a down payment saying, hey, this is just the beginning. I'm going to complete something wonderful through you. The fourth lesson 
that we that I I got out of this is your faith must be your own. Your faith must be your own. The picture here that he gives us is very clear because <clears throat> what happens with the the, the, the five virgins, they ran out of oil. They looked at the other five and said, hey, give us some of your oil. And they said, no, we, if we do that, we won't have enough for ourselves. And, and, and this is the picture that Jesus is trying to communicate. You cannot survive spiritually on someone else's oil. Your oil needs to be your own. It is a choice that you have to make. You cannot live on somebody else's decisions. It is the responsibility of each of the bridesmaids to have their own oil. One person's faith in Jesus Christ cannot save another person. That is why the choice, the personal responsibility of the choice is an individual choice. One of the things that, that I do whenever I'm a... Uh, at, at, when I, let me rephrase that. As a pastor, one of the things I do when a small child comes to me and says, hey, pastor, I want to get baptized, or, or hey, I, you know, I want to get saved or whatever... You know, one of the things that I do is I, I want to make sure that it is a choice that they are making and that not their parents are not making for them. Now, I, I'm going to say something, and I hope you understand the context of what I'm trying to say here is, is this, is if a small child comes to me and says, hey, I want to get saved, I change the subject. Why do I do that? Because if I can change the subject and they start talking about, you know, uh, baseball or what, whatever, then do you really think that they were serious about getting saved? No. But if they say, no, no, pastor, I don't want to talk. I want to talk about getting saved. I need to get saved. Okay, then we can talk about it. Why? Because it, the choice needs to be theirs. And sometimes it, being in a preaching service or in a junior church, or some kind of setting like that, Awana, kids can hear things and they, and they get the idea planted, but the conviction of the Spirit of God hasn't taken place in their hearts yet. And I don't want them to go through the motions of getting saved just for the sake of saying a prayer. Because the choice needs to be real. The responsibility is an individual responsibility. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7 and verses 21 to 23, not, <clears throat> not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of, of, of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wondrous works? And then will I profess unto them, 
I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now I dare say, I don't, I don't know, I can't prove it specifically, but according to what I just read, many pastors are going to stand before God one day and say, did I not prophesy or preach in your name? Did, did I not cast out devils and do all kind of wondrous things? Think about this. The decision is a decision of the heart. And so often, especially for young people that grow up in church, and one of the fears for my children is my children were, were growing up. One of my fears of my wife and I was that they would not get used to being in church. I didn't want to raise religious children. I wanted to raise children that had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I didn't want them to learn all the right things and look all look right and do all the right things, but be empty on the inside. Because the choice to be made whole is an individual choice. Praise God that both of my children and a, a couple of my grandchildren have made that choice to receiving Jesus Christ into their hearts and lives. See, they, 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 can't, they can't make it to heaven on my faith. They can only make it to heaven on their own faith. And this is a wonderful picture that God is giving us here. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul uh, was asked a question in Philippians uh, particularly called, the guy, we, we, everybody calls him the Philippian jailer because we don't know his name. But in Philippians, in chapter 16, and verse 30 to 32, says this, And brought them out and, and, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, uh, and they said Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house and they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. How do you get saved? The, 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 the Philippian jailer, I, I don't have time to get into the, the, the whole story here, but the, the Philippian jailer, uh, Paul and uh, Silas, was it Silas? Yeah, okay, Paul and Silas. You know, they were, in, they were in jail and God did some really cool stuff through them. And, and, and it so impressed the jailer or the warden of the prison, if you would, he came to them and said, what must I do to be saved? What I need to be made whole. And what does Paul say? Oh, I, I was looking at the wrong verse. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It's really that simple. How do we get saved? How, how do we get made whole? By believing on Jesus Christ. Lesson number five, and we'll be done. Verse 13. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Are you ready? Verse 
Are you ready? I am. I'm excited. I'd rather be there than here. No, I, I'm teasing. I, you know, until until God's done with me, I'm I'm happy to be here. But the truth is, I'd rather be in heaven, right? I mean, come on. I I read a story one time. It's kind of a stupid story, but it's it, it, I I got a chuckle out of it. I read a story the other day uh, about a guy who wanted who was on his way to heaven. He died, and he uh, and while he lived on earth, he was a very wealthy man, and he had a wheelbarrow of gold. And as he, he gets to the pearly gates, I don't know why they're always pearly gates, but anyway, uh, well, actually, the Bible does talk about pearly gates. Anyway, uh, but, it, but Peter's standing at the, at the door and, and or at the gate, and, and he, he wheels his wheelbarrow up, and, and, he, and, he, and he's talking with Peter, and he's like, hey, can't, let me keep my gold. And Peter says, okay, okay, yeah, you can keep it. And, and, uh, and uh, <clears throat> uh, he yells at the guy at the, to open the gate. So he says, open the gate. And he's got another guy bringing in pavement. <laughs> I, I, was, I, I read that the other day. I, I, did like, I just giggled. I thought, that, that's, that's good. You know, what do we have here? You know, we can have a wheelbarrow of of gold, we could take it to heaven. They're just going to throw it down for pavement. But I want to take a minute, kind of a kind of a little sidetrack here. Something that the Lord just put on my heart this week. Are you ready? One of the things is I that I have encountered as a pastor, oftentimes when I have the opportunity to talk to someone about their spiritual condition. I'll ask them a question and say, have you ever been saved? And oftentimes I get this reply. Yes, I was baptized when I was a kid. And there were people that think that salvation and baptism are one and the same. But according to the Bible, they're two different things. They're very completely different, two different things. So I want to I take a minute and I want to spend some time talking about, are you ready? God used a guy named Philip. Philip was an interesting guy. He, he, we, there's not a lot about him in the Bible, but what, what is there? He, God used him in some miraculous ways. But God used Philip in the book of Acts <clears throat> to reach an important diplomat to the country of Ethiopia. I can't again for time's sake. I, I don't. I can't go into the entire story. But God tells Philip to to go meet this guy in a chariot. So Philip takes off and he he comes across this guy in the middle of the desert. And he he says, "Hey, what are you doing?" He's like, "I'm reading the Bible." Oh, really? What are you reading? So they get they get in and they talk. And in Acts chapter eight, verse thirty six to thirty eight. This is this is what the, this is the exchange that takes place and and as they went on their way they came to a certain water 
And the eunuch said, or the, the Ethiopian uh, said, uh, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? So the question is, <clears throat> I've been reading the scripture, I know I need to get baptized, so why don't, why, why don't you baptize me? That's the question. And Philip said, If thou hast believed with all thy heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both of them, uh, both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So what is taking place here? Philip meets up with this guy in a chariot. He's reading the Bible. Philip says, hey, what are you reading? And, and, he, and, he, and Anyway, he goes in and he tells him about Jesus Christ and he says, hey, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And that the simple answer is this, you've got to get saved first. Once you get saved, then you get baptized. You can't, you can't get it backwards. And the Ethiopian eunuch says, hey, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. What happened? He got saved. And then Philip baptized him. Praise God for that. So let me ask you again. Are you ready? Are you ready? Is your lamp full? Have you been saved? Have you trusted Christ? Is the Holy Spirit living within you? Do you have the firm foundation of Jesus Christ in your life? Or is your life not full? Or is it not whole? Like Peter said, my life has been made full because of Jesus Christ. Where are you? Are you ready? Or are you like the ten versions? You look, you do, you do everything right on the outside but there's something missing on the inside. Where are you at? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, I, I want to thank you for the, the, the wonderful picture that you've given us here. And because the, the reality is this, we cannot have a firm foundation without having Jesus Christ in without the Spirit of God living within us, without the, without the down payment of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we cannot be whole. Lord, help us to walk with you. Help us, dear God. We need you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me, let me ask you,